Hello and welcome to an episode of Cat the Baker. This is the Peru episode. I finally did it. I'm back. <laughs> and I don't even know where to start. Um, first of all, sometimes I lay in bed when I wake up. I take like a few minutes and I open up Instagram. Because sometimes there's something cute but sometimes it's a mistake to do that. Maybe most of the time you should just get up and and start your day, you know, or maybe just lay in bed and breathe in and out a few times before you look at your phone. Because literally how you wake up, for me, pretty much affects my day. So I open it up, the app, and there's this cute cats video. And yeah, I have it because there's cute cats on it and they make me laugh, right? But they decided to post on this cute cat's video how this man is sitting on a roof. He's wailing because his cat just died and his cat's head is like rolling back and he's like just out loud wailing that his cat has died. And they're showing this video and that's the first thing I see. Like, I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, my God. I start crying, like out loud crying as I'm watching this video. I'm like, no, I can't do this. And I just turn it off. But then you've already seen it, right? So I can't stop. So I wake up and I'm just out loud crying because of this freaking video. Like, that was my morning the other day. So that morning, I'm like, okay, I can't record now. <laughs> okay, let's warp back a few weeks, and thank goodness I took, like, so many notes of my trip, because so much happened. I would probably just generally glaze over it. Like, it's not that I don't remember, but I keep a journal when I travel, because there's so many details and so many weird situations and stories that always just happen so let's just set this up because I'm sure you're like yeah I need this set up for me <laughs> okay years ago back in 2014 I worked at my first hotel job in Palm Springs California I became a pastry chef in Arizona at a country club like a golf club that I worked at but it was seasonal so every winter I had to look for a different job for two to three months. And I worked there for a year, like a year and three months around there. So for these three months, I had to go on unemployment so that you can still get paid. The rule of unemployment in Arizona is was that when you went on unemployment every week, you had to send out your resume to at least three different places. So I started doing that and I realized that I had been getting underpaid at the job that I worked at, you know, for my qualifications and for my experience. I didn't have the experience I have now, but I'd gone to culinary school. I had worked in Italy. I worked in LA, you know, and at that point, then I became the pastry chef in Arizona. And it was because of that, I could start applying to other places for higher pay. 
So it was through the unemployment that I realized, oh, like I'm not making enough money. And I started applying at other places because I had to, to get paid on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis. So I sent out my resume to this hotel and it was at the Parker Palm Springs in Palm Springs. Like a few weeks later, they contacted me. They flew me out. They put me up in one of their rooms and I did a tasting. So the whole time I was there, I had to make, I was there for like two days. They flew me in and right away I started on these items I had to make. I had to make five plated desserts, one full cake decorated with gum paste flowers. I had to make like a pre-dessert, which is like a, a mini dessert before your actual dessert. I was super nervous for this because this was my first tasting and it was for my first salary job. I hadn't had salary before that point. It was a big deal, you know, so I didn't know what to expect. But the tasting went really well, and this was a tasting that people talked about even later after I got hired, because the executive chef at the time told some other people how well it went when they had started, and I was just really surprised by that. I was just surprised how much everybody liked it. I mean, yes, it was stressful, especially when you have to do all these things in a kitchen that you don't know where anything is, and also the pastry room was weirdly empty, like the equipment that the hotel had was very little. And I was just really proud of myself at how well it went and how well it was planned. I was there for two nights and I would wake up, work on everything I needed to all day, and then the same the next day. And then they had the tasting a couple hours before I left for the flight back to Arizona. But it was nonstop the whole time. And I was so exhausted after. But it was right before I left that they offered me the position. It was actually a really big turning point for me because it gave me confidence that I can do this. I did the tasting. I did the tasting and it went well. There was a general manager, the hotel manager, HR. Like, I don't know why HR was there. But anyway, there were like six different people for this tasting. So I set up six plates of each dessert that I made, which is a lot. So HR took me to a different part of the hotel, like a lounge area, and then offered me the position. I think they started at like 50,000. This is back in 2014. So this is a while back, 50, 52,000 or something like that salary. And I said no, because I was told, never take your first offer of anything. Because if somebody wants you, they'll offer you a better wage. And that's true. I mean, of all the jobs I've taken, that has been true for every single job. I've never taken the first offer. So I said, no, I need, you know, X amount. And they said, okay, let me get back to you. I think like 30 minutes later, they offered me more money. And it still wasn't the, quite the amount I wanted but it was better than anywhere I had ever gotten before working. So I said, okay, I'll take it. And that's when I moved to Palm Springs from Arizona. So I was in Palm Springs and that's how I met Jose. Jose was a J1 
if you're J-1, you can stay in the U.S. for a year and work. So I got two, like, workers, students from Peru, and Jose was one of them. And at that point, when he had started, I had already been working at the hotel for over a year. And I worked with him for six months, and we had quite a few stories just from that hotel. But I was there for almost two years total, but I left unplanned because just the kitchen wasn't in good shape. There was mold growing that wasn't being taken care of. It was black mold. Somebody that worked there informed the health department of the situation. So the health department came in and they gave the hotel like a B instead of an A. And this was a boutique hotel, so it was a big deal. And then obviously they quickly had to change things. Like the walk-in wouldn't close properly, so there was all this humidity all the time. And you're in the desert. Like why is there so much humidity? <laughs> you know, like things just weren't functioning right. There was mold growing in the kitchen and people were working around this, you know? It's like everywhere you work, the kitchen is the last place that anybody cares about. Yet, it's the first place everybody comes to to make guests feel better when they're having something go wrong at their stay. Does that make sense? No. It should be like the first thing that gets fixed. But it never is. So now it got a B, so it had to be taken care of. You know, there would be flooding, like from the dish pit and just all this crazy stuff. And then people that worked there were coming to me to complain because I was a manager. So then I was taking it to the executive chef and the executive chef got annoyed that I would basically tell him everything that was bothering employees. And he said, if I didn't want to work there, I could leave. So I was taken aback. I'm like, um, okay, I, you know, I'm telling you what the employees are telling me, what am I supposed to say to them? You know, and now you're saying, you don't need me here? Like, it was so bizarre. I was up for taking my two weeks vacation. And at the time I decided to go back to Arizona for vacation to visit my mom. So I go to Arizona, I go to the Grand Canyon, you know, I drove there with my mom. I decided I want to see the Grand Canyon again, you know, so we went there and they showed this, these layers of sediment throughout the years of the Grand Canyon on this plaque. And it took like millions or I think even billions of years. Like it took so much time for the Grand Canyon to be the way it is. And I was looking at it and I thought, I don't need this hotel job. I don't need it. It's so dramatic. Being at the Grand Canyon, I was so calm. And all of a sudden, everything just came into focus. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to quit. <laughs> so, so I did. You know, I was on vacation and I basically sent an email saying that I wasn't coming back. Like an hour later, I lost access to all the emails and everything. You know, they're like, fine. <laughs> so... That was it. And Jose continued working there for another six months with another pastry chef. So he had all these different stories when I saw him. But for me, it was so long ago that 
I blocked it out, you know, because I took from it what I needed experience-wise, and it was kind of like a stepping stone. Being a pastry chef at a hotel is good on your resume. You know, it's good experience. So I took from it what I needed and then moved on to the next thing. But meanwhile, Jose and I kept in touch a couple years ago when my mom passed, another friend that we worked with, he went to Peru to visit Jose. And he said, I should come visit, you know, how awesome it is. And I, and I said, I can't, like this is literally like the worst time. And also I was living in New York and I didn't have vacation time like that or extra money. So I said, okay, I can't right now, but I'm gonna keep it in mind. And I did, you know? So this whole time, for the whole 10 years, sometimes he'd ask me culinary questions, he'd ask me for a certain recipe that we worked on in Palm Springs. And yeah, so I think back in June, I booked the trip to Peru to visit Jose. Wow, this was a long setup, right? I always do this. So he planned this whole itinerary and I'm a planner. Like, I I know you know this. I'm a planner. <laughs> like, in Japan, I booked everything. I enjoy planning. It's just part of a process that I enjoy. And it was weird because for this, I didn't plan anything. I, I just booked the flight and then basically handed everything over to Jose. I fly from Aspen to Denver because I booked it so far in advance that the flights from Aspen weren't crazy in price. So I flew from Aspen to Denver, and then from Denver to Houston, and from Houston to Lima. And everything was on time, luckily. The times were actually really close together, so I had to run in between terminals to get to the boarding time on time. It was pretty stressful. So this whole time on the flight to Lima, I'm watching movies, I was recommended to watch Asteroid City by Wes Anderson. It was kind of, you know, in the same style. I mean, every director has their own style, right? So Wes Anderson has his own style. When I was watching it, I realized, I don't know, like there were some moments where I was about to kind of feel emotion. <laughs> you know, because that's the point of watching movies or plays, right? You want to feel something, right? That's the point for me, at least. If I'm watching a comedy, I want to laugh. You know, if I'm watching a drama, I might want to cry. Because <laughs> like, I normally do when I watch a drama. Um, but I guess I don't need to. I can just watch something on Instagram and cry dramatically. I was watching Asteroid City. And I realized as I was watching it, like, I don't care about these people. Like, it was stale for me. Like, as soon as I was about to feel something for these characters. They didn't open up all the way, like they shifted. It was delivered in a dry, kind of stale way. And I realized, okay, I don't, I don't care about these people. And the movie ended and I'm like, okay, I need something else. I need something else. So I'm, I'm like going through the movies. Guess what I see? <laughs> I see Magic Mike's Last Dance. I'm just gonna say, I love this movie. <laughs> and I remember months prior in the summer, I went to the movie theater and I saw the preview for Magic Mike's Last Dance. And I remember thinking, 
I have to watch this when this comes out. <laughs> but time went by and I didn't even go to the movies that much because I was always out hiking when I could. So I never saw it. And now on the plane, I'm like, oh man, here it is. Magic Mike's Last Dance. This movie was amazing. <laughs> I swear. First of all, I love Channing Tatum and I hadn't seen him in ages. He's still got moves. He's still got all the moves. I was just like smiling the whole time. I was laughing out loud. And there was one point I was actually covering my mouth because I was laughing so much. And the people on the plane were like trying to sleep because it was a night flight. But if you get the chance, you have to watch it. And maybe it's just more if you're a woman. I don't know. But it was awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, when you watch a movie before you watch it, there'll be like maybe a Rotten Tomatoes score, you know, of what they gave it. Like there's an IMDb score and they gave it 5.3 out of 10. And if I were seeing that, like just the score, I'd be like, mm, that's not great. That's not a great score. I maybe don't want to watch that movie. But I totally disagree with the score. Like for me, it was a 10 out of 10. Like I'm, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so, so if you get the chance, you know, I mean, Selma Hayek was beautiful. Like this woman does not even age. Like she looks incredible, super sexy. And that pony song, what's the name of that song? I don't even know, but when it came on, I'm like, yes, I've been waiting for this song. It was so good. You know, and the dancing is just so attractive. Like when somebody can dance well, it's super sexy. And I remember when I was living in Palm Springs, there was a salsa night like every Friday. And I would go, I wouldn't say like regularly, I maybe went three times. But I walked in and this was this one night I walked in. I was wearing this black dress and I looked good. Okay, and I I wouldn't always say that about myself. I mean, obviously, right? Like you've heard all my other podcasts. That night, I looked good. Like I walked in to where the salsa night was. As I walked in, right away, someone's asking me to dance. Like this has never happened before. Usually, if I walk into a place, I'm like the person that, or I was the person, you know, that I might just sit and wait, you know? But this night, no waiting. I walked in right away, someone asked me to dance. I'm like, no thank you. <laughs> and then I keep on walking, because I'm meeting some friends. I keep on walking, another guy asked me to dance. I'm like, oh, thanks, no thank you, you know, and I keep on walking, and <laughs> I make it sound like this is some super long hallway or something. But I swear, I'm not even exaggerating. And then the third guy asked me to dance and I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. And I, I'm not a salsa dancer. I can, I can dance, you know, if somebody just shows me a quick like review, but this guy, he made me look amazing. Like he was such a good salsa dancer. I said, okay. And he takes me and he like whisks me on the dance floor. I was just taken away. I looked so good, he looked amazing. I mean, he made me look amazing. And he's just like turning me. All of a sudden my hips are moving. Like I didn't even know I can move this way. After the dance, I'm like, thank you. 
And he's like, no, thank you. <laughs> and I see the people I'm meeting and then they're like, Chef Cat, like, <laughs> you know, like they're like watching me and that's how the night started. This was an awesome night. So when I see Channing Tatum dance like that, first of all, this was like the only night I've probably ever looked this good dancing, you know, but it reminded me of that. My point is you got to see Magic Mike's last dance. Okay. That's, that's all I'm saying. I'm totally supporting this movie. <laughs> but then I look back and I look at certain dance that I've done. And I remember in acting school, we had this movement class. The teacher said we had to learn this dance and it had to be like five minutes long. And I'm thinking, no, like I can't, you know, and I've, I'm not saying I can't dance. Like it was my mind that was saying it because the human body is amazing. <laughs> like I swear, because muscle memory is everything. The things you can learn are incredible. You know, I never thought that I would ever pole dance. And I'm not saying I'm like this amazing pole dancer. No, but the fact that I'm doing it is huge. You know, the fact that I ever decided to do it was huge for me because first of all, I have huge body issues. Um, I never considered myself to dance like that. It was just a huge step for me. So when I first had to dance in movement class in acting school, I was so uncomfortable. I was super conscious, like self-conscious, and I had to practice hard. Like for me, dance steps are not normal. They don't stick with me. You know, it's not a normal thing for me or definitely wasn't. I had to practice hard with a friend of mine. The dance came out looking great because I worked so hard on it. You know, it did not come naturally. And that's how it had been, you know, like, I even tap dance with a friend of mine. You know, she caught on fast with dancing and the moves would come easy to her, like more easily than to me. So for me, I just had to work harder at it, but I enjoyed it. You know, it was just something different. When someone dances and they're not self-conscious, it just looks beautiful. You know, and that's the thing. You just have to shut off your head. You just have to go with it. So I arrive in Lima. It's dark. I think I arrived at 11.30 p.m. or midnight, something like that. When I was on the flight, there were a lot of Peruvians on the flight. Like, obviously, right, they're traveling back home. And there were also Americans on the flight. And this is the first time that I traveled as an American with an American passport. No difference. There really wasn't a difference. <laughs> like, same thing. Except I didn't even get a stamp in my passport. Like, now they don't even stamp. It doesn't matter anymore, right? Like, you just need a document. But nobody cares anymore. As the plane landed, and this is something I've been noticing through the whole trip, when the plane landed, everyone got up. This happens a lot. Like, even when you're traveling in the U.S. or whatever, right? Like, the plane just landed, the light shuts off with the seatbelt, and then people get up. But not everybody, because you still have to wait. Like, you can't move right away. So the difference with this flight that I started noticing was the light shut off, the seatbelt light, and then everyone gets up. Like, everyone. And this is a large international flight. I'm thinking, where? Like, what are you doing? Like, this, this woman behind me and this man behind me, 
I didn't get up right away. So these people that were behind me, they got up right away. They got their bags, right? Where there's no room, they get their bags and they shift themselves in front of me. And I noticed this throughout traveling in Peru. If you didn't get up right away, the people that were behind you would just move in front of you and move as far forward as they could. And I got annoyed, you know, because I was getting my bag from overhead and people were passing by me. And I'm like, can I just get my bag? What is going on? <laughs> like they just wanted to shift in front of me. I'm like, hold on. And I was so annoyed. And this was just the beginning because I flew a couple times within Peru and there's more stories where that came from. I arrive in Lima. Jose is there. Like he just tells me to walk out where the taxi line is. And as I'm walking out, I've got like 20 people trying to get me a taxi ride. And I'm just ignoring them. I go outside and Jose is there and his uncle they drive me to their house. I get to the house. I meet some family members. Like I, I met his uncle. His aunt came out. You know, everyone's super sweet. So this is a thing. And I guess it's more common. I'm not sure. But your family lives, the whole family lives together. For example, his cousin lived in the house his mom, his aunt, his uncle, and their different apartments within the house. So, and I saw this throughout Peru. There's a house, and it's concrete. And then throughout the years, I guess you can add on to the house, like put another level on top. So this house had like three levels. Because originally it was his grandparents' house, but they passed away. And just the rest of the family lives there. You know, which in this case was nice. Like, everyone's supporting each other. You know, a family member made us lunch on some days. And it was just so nice to meet everybody. I don't speak Spanish. So um, there's a lot of hand gesturing and Google Translate in the picture. But the next day, Jose had to work. And he's an instructor at a culinary school. So his aunt and uncle and cousin showed me around a part of Lima, which is super nice of them. I slept really well. I had like my own room at the house. The way houses are, and this is my first time in South America. You know, before this, I'd only been to like Mexico and now Peru. And the house was set up. It had like mini courtyards within the house. You know, so each area of the house gets light, which was really nice. And then there were mini gardens and succulents grow so easily. There's birds of paradise. They have like soursop growing. I think so. Or is it Wabana? Wa? Wanabana? I forget. <laughs> I forget how to say it. But they had like this tropical fruit growing in one of the courtyards. And it was just, it was just beautiful. Like to see all these, these plants and flowers that you wouldn't see, especially not in Colorado, you know, because it's too cold. But here they're just growing so easily outside. You know, so I wake up and I see 
all these different plants outside the window. And I love that. Like I landed and it was very cloudy. So the next morning it was still very cloudy. And I was told it's always cloudy. Like that's the weather in Lima. And it turns out that it's pollution. Like Lima is a major port. So there's a lot of import export going on. There's just a lot of cars. Like there's modern cars too, but like the buses are not. Like everything kind of smells like diesel and the traffic is crazy. So his family took me out and we're driving around in Lima. His cousin, like I put down the window a little bit and his cousin's like, put up the window because just in case motorcyclists steal your phone like from the window. I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and then as we're going by certain neighborhoods, his cousin's like, this is a rough neighborhood. He's like, it's a good thing we're driving. Like, <laughs> and the things they would say would make me kind of be nervous especially too before I flew to Peru I was looking at like caution there was a caution message from the United States government saying that there's kidnappings happening in certain parts of Peru and I'm like messaging Jose do I have to be worried and he's like no it's just on the border of like Venezuela I'm like okay <laughs> like I just don't want to be kidnapped you know so then that day we get pollo a la brasa which is chicken, rotisserie chicken, you know, but the seasonings they put on it were super delicious. And it comes with like a little bit of salad with this like mayo dressing. That's the thing with everything you eat, there's mayo and this kind of pink dressing. Um, it's a little bit spicy or no, it's like, it's like a yellowish dressing. It pretty much came with everything you ate, no matter where you went. It's like a rocotto dressing. Uh, it's, it's a type of pepper, but it's mild. It just adds like a really nice flavor. And then there's Inca cola everywhere, which you can only get in Peru. It tastes, it's yellow, and it tastes like a mix between Coke and bubble gum. So I tried it, you know, it's not my thing, but it was interesting to try. Pretty much everyone drinks soda. Like you don't just drink water. You drink soda everywhere you go or juice. So they make these fresh smoothies with the fruit there. And the fruit was amazing. Like I could die for this fruit. You know, same as in Costa Rica. So ripe, so delicious. So we went to this fruit market, got this perfect cherry moya, which is my favorite fruit. It's so delicious. And we had a perfect pineapple, like this passion fruit. Like the fruits were amazing. And then families there, you know, they make these fresh smoothies, but they just add a little bit of water. Like they're so sweet. It's just pure fruit and it's delicious. Like that was one of my favorite things, I think, was the fruit. So then his family's like driving me around. And just the traffic there is crazy. Like you have to honk to let other cars know that you're there because six lanes merge into two. Like just crazy traffic all the time. The population of Lima is 11 million. And the city is pretty spread out. Just the cars, you know, the roads, there aren't enough for the amount of cars. And 
there's a lot of diesel fuel. You know, so I was just constantly smelling diesel. The way people are driving, like I got like mini heart attacks multiple times and it just gave me a headache. Like the driving was so exhausting for me and I was just watching. I wasn't even driving. Like it was <laughs> like the traffic was just so crazy and everyone's honking all the time. There's diesel smells, you know, it's there's motorcycles going in between and it reminded me a lot of when I visited India. The traffic there was the worst I'd ever experienced. So India, if India is number 1, Peru is a close second. Like it was it was bad traffic and it literally would take you know, like an hour, hour and a half to get just a couple miles. It was crazy. So when we were out, we got a queso helado, which is an ice cream. It's an ice cream made with dulce de leche. So everything that I realized in Peru is that dairy is hard to come by, you know. And, and so, okay, so this trip was the local Peru, which is what I wanted. I had the real image of Peru. I didn't get the tourist's version, you know, and that's fine. Like, that's fine. But in a lot of ways, it was also shocking culturally because it was so different. But let me talk about the dairy aspect. So the ice cream, they make it by hand with salt and ice, you know, in this bucket, like old school way to make ice cream. But it's mainly, it's a bit more icy because cream they don't have. Like you don't just find cream. And fresh milk is also hard to find. Any type of dairy. Dairy is expensive there and you just don't have it readily available. A lot of places use canned milk, which has been, you know, heated like evaporated milk. So this ice cream was made with evaporated milk, dulce de leche, which is pretty much in everything, or, or manjar. Manjar is a lighter version of dulce de leche. And then cinnamon is put in a lot of pastries and ice creams and things like that. So queso helado, it has manjar, it has canned milk, and it has cinnamon. You know, and it tasted good. You know, it tasted good because it's just the flavor profile is different. You know, so we were walking around kind of the town center. That's where also the president's house was, and they call it the White House, even though apparently it's not called the White House. But the square was closed that day because the Ecuadorian president was there. So there were no people anywhere, and the whole square was taped off, which is kind of crazy and there was just police everywhere and you couldn't walk in the town center. So his family kept wanting me to kind of pose because there was nobody and I guess that was a rare thing, you know, like in the town center, but we couldn't. So they asked, oh, this is, you know, she's visiting from the U.S. Can she go behind the tape? And then they're like, no, <laughs> like obviously. We went into this bar and that was the bar where they had the original Pisco Sour. So Pisco Sour is a Peruvian drink. And Pisco is made in Peru. And it's an alcohol. So we went to the store where they had the original Pisco Sour. I only need one drink to get 
like buzzed or drunk. <laughs> you know, so so they got me this like um, passion fruit pisco, which was delicious. It was very fruity, and there, it's like fresh juice. You know, here everything's from concentrate and artificial when you make drinks because you don't have everything fresh at hand. But there, it was just like the fresh fruit, and it was amazing. It was so good. And then after that, we went to this chocolate store where they let us taste like all these different cocoa nibs and different percentages. And there, coca is a big thing. So the coca leaf. So they had coca chocolate. They had all these different flavors. And coca, you know, obviously you can make cocaine. Like, <laughs> and I don't know the process of making cocaine. Like, I don't know. I make pastries. I don't make cocaine. But, <laughs> you know, coca leaves here are illegal. But there you can just buy, like, packs of coca leaves and you can make your own tea. So you take, like, four or five leaves and you put them in boiling water and you just let it sit. And you can drink coca tea. You know, so I had this almost every day. It was good. You know, it, it kind of... It's, it's like drinking coffee, basically. <laughs> and you're like, uh, yeah, I bet. But no, it wasn't like that. It was kind of very mild. You know, it, it wasn't like I was drinking pure cocaine. Like, <laughs> you know, but it would just kind of make you a bit more alert. And it would kind of calm my stomach. And tea does that for me anyway, you know. But the food there was not spicy, it was just different. You know, when you travel, it's just everything's different. Different kind of breakfast, different kind of ingredients. So my stomach was a bit shaky, you know, and I was also nervous that I, something would happen stomach-wise. So I was kind of being cautious. One thing I did notice from the town square was that there's so many churches. You know, I lived in Atlanta. I lived in the Bible Belt, and there were a lot of churches, but... I've never seen this many churches in one spot. You know, in Europe or anywhere you go, pretty much like older cities, there are always a lot of churches. But this is one thing I noticed in Peru. You could be in any small town, any big city, churches everywhere, no matter what. Like literally each block, there was a different church. One might be large, one might be small. So many churches, you know, very very religious, Catholic. Obviously, the Spanish colonizers were there, and they went to Peru. So it was interesting to go to these Incan sites in the next few days and to see how the Spanish affected these historic Incan ruins. So the next day, Jose wanted me to go with him to one of his classes, one of his culinary school classes, to instruct. So we get a breakfast sandwich, and there they have all these little stands, like on the street, where you can just get a sandwich, and it has like a thin patty of meat with french fries on the sandwich. So this is what I noticed about Peru. Carbs are in. Like, everyone eats carbs. <laughs> like, everywhere. So if you have a sandwich, they put french fries on it, and it's like for the workers. It's supposed to... Um, keep you full like that's the goal and obviously carbs are cheaper than proteins so if you had a dish 
It would pretty much always have french fries. It'll have some sort of potato as well. So you'll have french fries, potato, there'll always be bread. There might be like cassava or yuca. You've got like four types of carbs. The yuca was the vegetable, which is also a carb. And then you'd have some sort of meat. Like the country is very carbs and meat. Kind of towards the end of this trip, I was just craving a vegetable. Like <laughs> I even went into a restaurant where they served quite a few dishes, but they didn't have any vegetables. I'm like, okay, no vegetables, like got it. So we started the day and we got this breakfast sandwich and then we go into his culinary school. And I was excited beforehand to see, okay, what is different about this school? You know, I always like to see how other people teach, what kind of equipment they have, how the students are, you know? So I was like, oh, I wonder what they have there that I don't have in my kitchen, you know? Cause that's usually the case, like every other kitchen is like nicer or has more equipment than I do, or that was in my mind, right? We take an Uber to this area where his culinary school is and it's called Los Olivos. I guess it's like more of a low income area. Like it's super dusty. There are these mountains in like in that area where people have built houses on. And I guess the government let people build houses there because this area was a lot cheaper. It's kind of like the outskirts of Lima, but there's just dust everywhere. It was just in the air. It was just crazy dusty. Like the ground, it doesn't have plants, you know, it just has sand everywhere. So we get into the school and I look at the room that Jose's teaching in, you know, and he's teaching breads. They have a deck oven, which is like, oh, cool. Like I don't have a deck oven, you know? <laughs> and then I look around, they have like six sheet trays, only the ingredients they need to teach this bread, but they don't have enough ingredients for each student to make their own batch. So they're making like maybe six different breads, but only one time and everybody's watching. And they have a microwave, they have a stovetop and a mixer, you know, like a small mixer, not one that you can make big batches and maybe like one KitchenAid, but this is it. Like this is it for the whole like school, you know? I mean, different rooms have different things that are necessary, but it's bare minimum. And here I was going into this being like, oh, like I wonder, do they have a blast chiller? Do they have like, you know, all this stuff? And, and no, they didn't. And I was like thinking, wow, I have a lot in my kitchen, you know? Like that was kind of when I realized how lucky I am to have all this equipment. You know, to be able to order what I need and in excess if I need it, you know, and, and that was like kind of a realization that I had thinking, I'm so lucky. And when I see, especially in this area, in this area of town that's so dusty, like there's trash floating around outside. I mean, people are working hard. They're sitting there all day selling these sandwiches. Sometimes they have to bring their kids because the kids can't be home alone. So there's just kids sitting with their parents at whatever their parents are trying to sell at these stands. That's kind of when I realized Peru is tough. I'm going to say that. When I went to the culinary school, Jose was telling me about these local breads. So the type of breads that he was making were local for that area. And everyone eats bread all the time. 
So you constantly have rolls that you get from a bakery. You know, bread is a staple. And he was saying how they use eggs. So for example, if they have to make a brioche, like let's say for the brioche I make here, I need 25 eggs for a batch. He doesn't have that many eggs. Like eggs are more expensive. So instead of 20, he might have 10 eggs. Okay, like less fat. They don't have butter. Butter is expensive. So they use margarine. To make up for the eggs, you have to use more liquid, so more water. And they don't really use milk, you know, water instead. And to make up for the eggs that you are missing in the recipe, you add yellow food coloring to make it look like there's more egg in it. Obviously, egg is not just a visual thing, right? Like if you use a lot of eggs in something, yes, it'll be more yellow, but it's also more fat. It adds a different texture, but they don't use this much because it's expensive. So that was interesting to see the different type of ingredients the normal Peruvian has at hand, and it's not dairy. So here I am, you know, in the US, we have everything at hand all the cream, we have sour cream, we have kefir, we have yogurt. I mean, everything, you name it, we have it. And it's so easy to find. Yes, heavy cream has gone higher in price. You know, so if it's higher here, imagine in South America, like it's even harder to find. And there are good areas of town, you know, where there, I guess, were more high-end pastry shops and things like that, but we didn't have a chance to really go into those areas, you know, so I saw like local Peru and it was super interesting. And it just made me feel, what am I complaining about when I complain? Like I have nothing to complain about. I have everything I need and more. Aspen is super clean. It's the cleanest place I've ever lived as far as there's no pollution. The air is super crisp. I mean, what a beautiful place, you know? And I was just surprised. I didn't research Peru. I didn't know what to look for. I was just excited to travel. I was kind of just caught off guard how things are because Lima, there's so many people, there's not enough jobs and people are just scraping by. I mean, these people are working hard. For me to visit was cheap, but for the people that work there, that live there, I mean, you have to work hard to get by. You know, that's why there's all these carbs. I mean, it's easier to come by. But for me, it was just a very eye-opening experience. But overall, I was surprised to see how hard it is for this country. So we get back from the school. We take an Uber back. Like, there was a smell in the air in Los Olivos, where the school was. So in Arizona, there was this factory, this cat food factory. And you could smell it in the air. You could smell like the cat food, you know, when when the factory was working and the smoke was coming out. It smelled like the whole area smelled like the kibble, like the dry cat food. That's how it smelled in this part of town. And I said, like, are they making cat food here? And Jose was like, no, it's trash. There's actual smell of trash in the air. So by the time we got back to the house, I had a headache. You know, and I don't know if it was just like the day. Uh, we did a lot that day with teaching because I ended up teaching pretzel bread, which was cool. It was fun. I mean, 
I couldn't speak Spanish, you know, but they made pretzel bread and I showed them how, even though it was a little bit different, like it came out differently. It didn't get as dark because instead of using actual butter, we used margarine. The ingredients were different, right? And then you have to, in the end, put butter over it, but we used margarine. It was interesting to make something I always make, but make it with not the same ingredients. Obviously it's gonna come out differently, but they still seemed happy with the product, even though I wasn't happy with the product. <laughs> you know, because the less fat you have in a bread, it's gonna be more crusty. But these are soft pretzels. They're not supposed to be that hard. The fact that Jose invited me and asked me to go with him to teach a class, I was really honored. And the students were lovely, very respectful, and very focused, and they enjoyed what they were doing and learning. So overall, it was a great experience. But by the time we got back to his house, I had a headache and it was just a long day. And then his mom made this dish, it's called kausa. And it's basically like a mashed potato, but you use a different kind of potato. It's not a dry potato. You mash it and you have a bottom and a top and you fill this potato with either veggies or protein and it was filled, I had asked for vegetables, so it was like peas and carrots, but it was good, you know, it was different. And then the filling is tossed in like mayo. Like they're not afraid to use mayo. And I really like mayonnaise, so it didn't bother me. You know, but every dish had mayo on the side. So you're just like eating mayo with everything. And then that day, Jose had to work at a different culinary school. So his family, took me to a different part of town in Barranca, and it was beautiful. They drove me along the coast, so there's all these different towns along the coast, and we stopped at a beach, and we got out and just walked around a little bit. But I was surprised because the highway is kind of right on the ocean, so it's not like here where you have a lot of oceanfront properties. Like there, it's just the beach and certain parts of town might have like nice properties, but most of it was kind of just roads, you know, to get to different areas of town. There were more properties up on the cliffs. So you had the beach, then the roads, and then above that there were cliffs. And it was funny because we were stuck in traffic and I look up the cliffs and I see a cat climbing up the cliffs. So the thing is they have these nets on the cliffs to stop erosion. But I saw this cat climbing the net up these cliffs, like straight up cliffs. And I was like, oh my God, cats are amazing. So the beaches were just open. So we walked on one of the beaches and then later went through some of the marketplaces and, and different parts of town. And then his family took me out to this Anticucho restaurant. So Anticucho are skewers with meats, generally like chicken, beef. So a thing in Peru that everybody loves is skewered heart, like beef heart on these skewers. And they serve it in a bed of deep-fried intestines. Like, <laughs> so they order this. You know, I don't speak Spanish, but I know, I know what they're ordering isn't chicken, right? 
like, and then they look at me, they'll be like, you'll like this. I'm like, mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, in growing up, a German dish that is very common, and I don't know if it is now, but it definitely was. It was um, liver with mashed potatoes and onions. Right, like this is a German dish that my mom would make on occasion. And I liked it, I would eat it. You know, and this is before I was age 10, right? Because at age 10, I became a vegetarian. So I would eat this stuff and later on, the idea of it just grossed me out. Like I was eating liver, like what? But here I am in this restaurant and they're ordering beef heart. It's seasoned very well. And then it's kind of flame grilled, you know, so the flavor is nice. And then they serve it again with mayo, with this like ricotto chili sauce and this like yellow sauce, like all the sauces were delicious. It arrives like these heart discs on the skewer and his aunt is like putting like a full skewer on my plate with three pieces of heart. And I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I take off one disc. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna be rude. You know, everyone's like diving into this, like super excited. And I taste heart, like I'm eating it. And I'm like, wow, like this tastes good. Like <laughs> I was super surprised. You know, my mom would buy heart for her pets and I would cut it up and get super grossed out because she would make the food for her pets, you know? And then when I was with her, I would make the food for the pets to help her, right? So I, I've seen my share of uh, insides, okay? But when you cut up the heart, you can see the ventricles and the valves. And sometimes I would gag a little bit because it just grossed me out when I would cut it up. And here I am eating it, like I'm eating it. And it tasted good, like they had so much seasoning on it that it was like, wow, I don't even taste that it's heart. And the insides, when you cook with your inside, like not your insides, but when you cook with intestines and heart and all this stuff, liver, you have to let it soak out, you know, cause what the liver has bile and whatever else, right? So you have to let it soak for a little bit before you can actually use it. It tasted fine. Like it tasted good, you know? And then I tried a piece of intestine and I'm like, wow, like that tastes good. And I was totally thrown off guard. You know, I wasn't like devouring it like I was Hannibal Lecter or something. You know, I wasn't like licking my fingers, but <laughs> I tasted it, you know, and then they ordered some skewer chicken that tasted more normal, I guess, you know, so I more readily ate that. The thing is, I want to say I was a vegetarian for 25 years. So this was hugely adventurous. And Peru in general was very adventurous with all kinds of meats. But to a point, it got a bit too out of hand for me. But that night, I tried everything. And then they ordered picarones, which are sweet potato donuts. They were so delicious. It's served with a fig syrup. So typically, you use fresh figs and you cook it down with, with sugar. And there, the sugar they use, you don't really have granulated sugar. You have this dark or like a brown sugar, 
Like here, the dark brown sugar, you add molasses to it. But there, it's just the natural sugar as is. So it's more brown and coarse. So that's what you use for cooking and baking. And of course, that comes out differently too for the products you use. But these donuts were delicious, super light. And I'm interested in making those and testing out the recipe. Oh, and then they also have this drink. It's made with purple corn. So in Peru, there's so many different types of corn. And the purple kind, I guess it's not starchy. It has this fruity taste. They use the purple corn to make chicha morada, which is a drink. It's a, it's a drink using this purple corn that you cook. You also add pineapple and pineapple rind and an apple. And then you put some clove in there and cinnamon. You cook the whole thing till the corn softens and you add a little bit of sugar, but the fruit, you know, you don't have to add too much sugar, but the fruit is sweet. You cool it down and it's delicious. Like that was, I think my favorite drink. And one day Jose made it and he showed me how to make it, but it's not like I can find like actual purple corn here. You know, the purple corn here is different. It's starchy. We had the drink and then at the restaurant, like the yellow, there's a yellow pepper sauce and it's called salsa a copa. So that's basically everywhere along with the mayo and you dip everything into it, but this had a really nice flavor. And then after that, his family took me to this area called La Punta, which is right on the ocean and it was dark at this point, but it's this little area of town that is filled with all these colonial houses, super cute. And then we walked along the ocean it was a nice ocean breeze. Like, obviously, it was warm there. But then to get to this point, we had to drive by one of the most dangerous areas of town, which his cousin told me. I guess they call it Siberia. It's like codename Siberia. And I guess that's where the poorest of the poor live. And Jose was telling me that one time he had his consulting job at a bakery. They needed help because something wasn't working correctly, like the recipe wasn't working or, or something was wrong. So they asked him to come by and it was in this part of town, which is like the most dangerous part of town. And even he was worried, you know, he left all his money, ID, everything at home. And he went to this bakery to consult. So this is the part that we drove through to get to La Punta. Uh, yeah, so this is like, it definitely looks sketchy. <laughs> so. So, you know, they drove by and then you get out in this most beautiful part of town right on the ocean. And we walked around that area and then we went back to the house. And I realized I'm just like a couple of days in. Like, you know, I'm talking so much about everything to be continued because the next day we take the bus to the airport and we fly to Cusco, which is where things really get interesting. So let's make this Peru part one and I'll continue <laughs> until next time. This is an episode of Cat the Baker. Please join me on Instagram at Chef KB. 